Welcome to the class on the Christian calendar, uh, which I think is the name that Scott and I did not decide upon that I just said right now out loud. Um, So thanks for coming. As you guys probably know, our in-town news are very sparse, very few and far between, and it's because we don't really have a good space for them. Generally, there's people kind of traipsing in and out, and it's sometimes hard to hear, so we've got a little uh, audio assistance here. Um, But if you are not staying for the class... um, a pox on you and boo, uh, but also not really that. But if, if you could take your conversation uh, to another room or maybe right outside, that'd be great. Uh, so those that are really here to, to study and learn can focus. Um, so Scott and I are going to be co-teaching this, uh, and he's starting, and then I'm going to come in for a little bit, and then he's ending. So here we go. So if you are involved in a community group, raise your hand. All right. One of the things that's been structuring our lives together and community groups is this idea of formation, right? We're shaped, we're influenced by things in our worlds, right? The actions that we participate in our daily lives, the events, the, the, the songs that we sing, cultural songs, religious songs sometimes, but um, by and large, these are, these are factors that go unnoticed by most of us. Thanks for stealing the stage, Clint. Um, typical Clint. So, so we want to talk about this, this big abstract idea called liturgy. Um, and I want to solicit, before we begin, I want to solicit anyone's impressions of the word liturgy. Uh, definitions or anecdotes, experiences of liturgy, anything is welcome. Let's, let's just open the stage for someone, people to share. What, what is liturgy in your minds, in your experiences? Ritual, great. What else? Like literature, you know, it's like it's written. Okay, yeah, words that we say. Yeah, great. Like sacred literature, like, like the Bible, maybe. Yeah. Okay, so we got ritual, we got literature, words. What else? What comprises liturgy? Order. Good, yeah, structured time actually is, is, a, is a, a pretty good definition of what liturgy is in the church. Okay, so I'm going to back up now and, and talk about um, why it's important to, to emphasize liturgy, why it's important to, to be aware of liturgy. And I'll start with a David Foster Wallace quote. I, I like that Brian had a little shout out in his sermon uh, to this quote, uh, although he didn't quote it himself. So David Foster Wallace was a great uh, uh, novelist um, and writer of the 20th century. He gave this uh, commencement speech at Kenyon uh, a few years before he died untimely. So here's, here's David Foster Wallace talking about um, the liturgical aspect of human life. In the day-to-day trenches of the adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some intangible set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they are unconscious. They are our default settings. Okay? So, according to the Bible in Christian tradition, but also according to secular people, 
We are worshiping beings. Humans are not primarily, you could even say, homo sapiens, the, the, the beings that think, but homo adorans, the beings that worship, right? This is a fundamental fact of our, of our nature. So liturgy is one response to that, one way of structuring this, this de facto worshipful part of our, our beings, right? You could even read the whole Bible, the story of salvation, as one great failure to be liturgical beings in the, in the garden. What, what, how did Adam and Eve fail? Not primarily by abusing God's laws, but by not doing what he asked them to do, offer up in, in worshipful praise the rest of creation, right? That was their task. They didn't do that. They failed to do that, and we're bearing out the consequences. But Jesus came and taught us what true and right spiritual worship is. So the whole rest of the Bible is God's pursuit of us in this liturgical dance, trying to teach us, educate us to be properly liturgical beings, to worship in the right ways, to worship the right things, i.e. him, him alone, right? So that's the importance of worship. I want to, um, I want to pass it over to Steve, uh, but not before giving you the, the kind of technical definition, because that's maybe important too. So liturgy, or in Greek, liturgia, is a composite word meaning a public duty. So laos, as in the laity, the people, okay, the masses, and then ergos, Greek, uh, to do. It's just public work, public service. So this is a word that the church, the early church, took over from pagan uh, civilization from pagan society, meaning to do public service out in the polis, right, out in the, the res publica, the republic. And, and the church took this word and baptized it and made it something holy, something sacred, to do God's work, to do the work of the alternative kingdom, right, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of spirit, not the kingdom of man, not the empire of Rome, right? So liturgy is a public service. It's also performative, what we do up here, or what you do in the, in the pews, is performative, right? The words that we say, they're not just descriptive. They're not just saying, this is the way the world is. They're saying, I pray, I confess. And then Brian or Steve says, I absolve, or I assure you of forgiveness. Right? These are performative words. We're, we're doing a, an act, almost. There's a dramatic element to liturgy as well, okay? So with that, I'm going to pass it over to Steve, and he's going to tell you about the liturgical dance of the church throughout the year. So um, that speech that David Foster Wallace gave, um, I'm going to have to edit it a bit because we're in a church and my grandmother's here. But he starts off that speech by, by telling this little story. And he says, there's these two young fish swimming along. And an older fish comes along and he says, how's the water, boys? And they kind of look at each other and they both swim a little bit further. And the one young fish says to, to the other, what the bleep is water? You know, he, and, and that's the sort of thing when we talk about formation... And what David Foster Wallace and, and Scott as well are getting at is that we are being formed all of the time and we don't even realize it. And which means that probably the things that are at the very core of our identity are things that we may not even be aware of. Or we may not be aware of why those things are so core to how we conceive of ourselves. And so what we're trying to do this morning is just give you a really brief glimpse into what the liturgical rhythm of the church calendar is and why it's important. Uh, and, and we think it's important uh, at the very base because we are all being formed by something. And we want to start forming ourselves around things that, that Scripture and, and the Christian church throughout time have, have deemed important. Okay? 
Um, so first of all, as Scott was saying, liturgy kind of literally means the work of the people. Uh, and, and we all have kind of rhythms and liturgies to our own, to our own personal lives um, as we in, interact with other communities, right? So if you're a sports fan, you inhabit sports communities, then there's a season of your year where you gear up for March Madness, and you make brackets of things that I don't really understand because I'm not that guy. Uh, if, if you enjoy hunting, then deer season, like you know when that's coming. You've got it scheduled. You have vacation time off of work. We probably won't see you for a couple Sundays because that's, that's this thing. That's the time of the year when you get to go and be a guy and wear grease paint or something and, and get up really early and stand out in the cold and shoot animals, shoot Bambi, you know? Uh, no, no one knows why you enjoy it, but you do. Um, there, there are several other ways of thinking of this. I mean, the, the school year, if, if you are in school still or if you have kids, and there's a very short time for some of us between when we are done with school and when our kids start going to school, our entire lives are wrapped around this idea of the school year. So we know that sometime in September or maybe late August, school begins, there's a winter break, there's a spring break, and then there's a break in the summer. And so we've kind of reorient our lives around this sort of calendar. And these are rhythms within which we find meaning, within which we find happiness, and, and within which, uh, by which we are formed. And so when we talk about the idea that, that the Christian church has a calendar, um, how many of you were raised kind of celebrating like the fullness of the, of the Christian liturgical calendar? Like anything more than Christmas and Easter? Yeah, maybe like 5% of us. I was not. And so... Um, as I say, this is, this is not only an introduction to what the church year is, but it's also, I, I would hope, an introduction for how we as a community, where obviously most of us did not grow up with these sorts of celebrations, can start to think ahead a little bit and enact some celebrations and enact some of these uh, festivals in our life. And so one thing that I want to do is just kind of point out the ancient roots of, of celebration and remembrance. Why is celebration and remembrance important? Well, we know that it's important, first of all, because it's been taking place since the very beginning of time. Um, Scott referenced the Garden of Eden and how Adam and Eve were, were planted within this garden, and they were commissioned basically as priests to represent God to his creation and represent the creation back to God, and there's a rhythm to that work. Uh, as we see the nation of Israel form, and as they form their life around the law of Moses, there are actually laws on the books regulating festival practices. And so there were rhythms to their life that were weekly. So they had to observe a weekly Sabbath. There were seasonal um, festivals that they had to actually observe and enact. And so there was the festival of the, uh, the Passover, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the Feast of Booze. There's all these different things that, that kind of coincide with an agrarian culture that have since taken on different meanings and maybe broader meanings now that most of our culture is no longer um, directly tied to an agrarian lifestyle. But, but not only were there, were there rhythms weekly and then seasonally, but even um, over a period of years, and then even a rhythm kind of with a whole life in view. And so God's people, Israel, would actually observe a Sabbath year. They would have a year of jubilee every seven years, and then every 49, or, or some scholars think it was on the 50th year, the year after the Sabbath of Sabbaths, they would have an even bigger year of Jubilee festival. And so you think about life expectancy then and even now, you're probably only going to see one of those festivals. And yet we see very clearly God finds it extremely important for us to observe weekly, seasonally, 
yearly and then even kind of lifelong rhythms kind of rippling out into this bigger um, type of formation. Another reason beyond just the fact that it's been happening for a while and we should pay attention to history, but another reason that celebration and remembrance are important is because we are holistic people. And so what I mean by that is is we're not, the real you is not embedded somewhere deeply inside your physical body. Our culture kind of oscillates back and forth between these ideas of you kind of, the clothes do make the man, like you kind of are just what you look like, what you appear to be, or, well, you know, he's, re- he's really nice on the inside, or she's really nice on the inside, and we kind of want to have this, this division between physicality and emotional, uh, spiritual, intellectual, psychological life. And scripture doesn't talk about us that way. And in fact, most of the best theologians throughout history have talked about human beings as holistic people. And so, as Scott was already saying, we're not primarily uh, thinking beings. That, that came later. That term came later. Uh, but we are worshiping beings. And, and, and another way to say that is we're holistic. And so we, we use all sorts of aspects of ourselves in worship and in our formation. So the, the um, sacraments that we saw and, and participated in today are physical things. I, I put physical water on my daughter's head, and, but that changes her. And it doesn't just change her in a physical way. It didn't just give her wet hair. She went from being not baptized to being baptized. And so now, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, and physically, she's baptized. She's been baptized holistically. Just as we take the Eucharist, and it's physical bread and physical wine, and yet we believe that it feeds us spiritually— there, there's an emotional element, there's a psychological element. All of these things are wrapped up together, which is to say, again, we're holistic people. And so when we think about Christmas celebration and the, and the sort of excitement, I mean, that's the one kind of holiday that, that we all probably can get behind as, as you know, our family has celebrated this. There, there's there's a, a holisticness to that celebration, you eat good food, your heart is warmed, you anticipate this gift-giving. It's physical, it's spiritual, it's psychological and emotional. And, and what we can see is that um, our practices, when we come here and when we sit and speak words back and forth to one another, and then we stand and say words together or sing words together, that's actually forming us. The, the things that we do physically with our bodies forms us inwardly, just as the things that we think about and, and meditate on actually get enacted physically, if that makes sense. Um, so all that to say, our practices are important because we're holistic people. The things that we do physically affect us internally. The things that we think about internally uh, get enacted physically. So what I want to do now, uh, and I realize that this is, this is a pretty rushed uh, sales pitch to get you guys into observing the Christian year, but I'd love, uh, at least for in our community groups, or maybe we can do some more classes on this in the future to kind of dive down into some of the other Christian holidays. But for today, we're going to just focus on Pentecost, uh, because today is Pentecost Sunday. Um, anybody have, want to just shout out what, what we're remembering in Pentecost Sunday? Holy Spirit? Yeah, it's, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit given to the church. And so we actually looked at, we've kind of been drawing out the first couple chapters of Acts over a couple weeks, but we looked at what happened at Pentecost a couple weeks ago uh, when, when Peter has to get up and tell the people, no, they're not drunk. Uh, they, they've, they've received the promise that Joel gave that your Holy Spirit would be poured out. Well, within the, the Christian year, 
And uh, forgive my lack of faith, I did not make nearly enough copies. So if you're part of a couple or a family, if you wouldn't mind sharing, uh, I've got a little graph of the, of the Christian year. Um, this is, just really quick, this is the Lutheran calendar, which, so some of the, some of the rhythms are a little bit, uh, a, a few weeks off from what we recognize, or what we practice, I should say. So there are, there are uh, slight differences within the liturgical calendars of the major traditions, uh, but the Lutherans had the nicest graphics, so we went, we went with theirs. Um, first of all, you can see this is a wheel, uh, which is to suggest that this is something that should be enacted cyclically. And, and we go through it year after year after year, and, and there's actually something very liberating and, and deepening about that. Um, but as you'll see, uh, basically, the Christian year is divided into three main sections. There's Advent, there's the Lent and Easter season, and then there's what we call ordinary time. Ordinary time, it's, it's not what we think of when we think ordinary. It just means ordinary. It's, it's just numbered weeks. There are no uh, specific festivals, okay? So here at In Town, we, we try to call attention to Advent. We start four weeks before Christmas. Then we have a 12-day celebration of Christmas. And then there's a few weeks between Epiphany and the beginning of Lent. Uh, and then Lent brings us through Easter. And so these are kind of the major festivals of the church year, all sort of grouped together in, in, those, in that half a year, basically. And then ordinary time is, is opened into through Pentecost. And there's actually a really sort of theological, practical reason that the church uh, began to sort of I guess, uh, line up these dates in this way. And so we could, we could uh, summarize Advent as the cycle of light. So God is revealing himself to us in Christ. He's, in, he's kind of enlightening and illuminating who he is in the birth of Jesus. We could think of the, the cycle of Lent and Easter as the cycle of life. We, we remember our death, we remember our sin, yes, but it's always pointing towards Easter, pointing towards the life that is ours in Christ. And then um, in ordinary time, we can consider that the cycle of love. And so in the cycle of light, it's God to us. He comes to us. In the cycle of life during Easter, it's God for us. He gives himself for us. And in the cycle of ordinary time, the cycle of love, it's God through us. And so this is the season of the church where we have to like consciously remind ourselves that all of these gifts that are ours and God being to us and for us are meant for us to now go into the world and allow him to work through us. And that's why Pentecost is the doorway to this season because it's only in the empowering of the Holy Spirit that God's people can actually go. And as if we were to continue the entire book of Acts, I don't think we're doing that for this series, but we would see it starts from this tiny little group of people who act like they're drunk and all of a sudden Paul is before kings and it's earth shattering. And the only way that that's possible, the only way to actually live God through us is through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what Pentecost is all about. Um, so feel free to take a look at this um, as you go home. And if, if you didn't get one and you want one, just email me. I can send you a, a JPEG of it and you can have it. Uh, or you can just Google liturgical calendar. You'll find all sorts of different ones. But um, So that's celebration and remembrance, and that's what Pentecost is about. That's the season we're heading into. So Scott's going to kind of close us with a few more thoughts on liturgy and what that means as a corporate body within, uh, within a larger context, within a, a city that is not Christian. Yeah, so I want to I use two, two ideas to close. Uh, the first is, uh, Steve spoke about sacraments. 
the sacrament of, of communion or Eucharist is one of the major ones. Pretty much everyone knows that that's a sacrament in the Christian church, right? High church, low church, evangelicals, Catholics, everyone gets that. But what you might not realize is that the word sacrament, uh, the word sacramental, is not meant to be cordoned off into this one moment in church service on Sundays, right? We're supposed to read the world, to, to view creation sacramentally. So just in the same way that Steve's talked about we are, we are embodied beings, we are uh, holistic beings, right? We operate in this, not, not in this dichotomous zone of, you know, spirit and then flesh over here doing different things with each, but holistically, integratedly, right? In the same way, we're supposed to see the world that way. And the big idea behind sacraments and sacramental is just that God uses material to do things, right? God communicates to us through matter in his son Jesus, foremostly, but in other ways too, right? Through our own bodies, through, through words, Brian's words and Steve's words, when they pronounce blessing on uh, our children or when they um, baptize or, or offer us, you know, Eucharist on Sundays. These are, these are things that we do sacramentally because that's how God operates. God doesn't leave matter behind when he saves the world. He brings it and blesses it and it, it glorifies him, okay? So that's the first point. The second point is uh, in using this word, this political word, liturgy, right, Christians open themselves up to um, a criticism. Has anyone heard that the early church was labeled atheist? Or they were, they were, they were accused of atheism, right? Does anyone know why that was? Why, why was the early church considered atheist? By pagans, by, by, by Greeks and Romans. What was the big idea behind that? Anyone know? It was because they didn't worship the recognized gods, right? The gods of the polis, the pagan gods, the pantheon. That was why they were considered atheists, because they weren't going to these festivals. They weren't sacrificing before the idols and, and you know, participating in all these very public, very, very open in the streets kind of festivals and festivities, right? They didn't do that stuff because they saw that as idolatry. So they got called atheists. Well, this idea, the idea that Christians don't sacrifice to the idols of the culture and the state is relevant today as well, okay? So I want to end with this. If it's true that we are liturgical beings, we are not only homo sapiens, but homo adorans, what does it mean to participate or to resist the liturgy of our culture, right? The liturgy of the state, for example. The state has ways that it's shaping us too. And our, our uh, economy, our consumer economy has ways that it's shaping us. So what would it mean to pit Christian liturgy, the ways that we're being formed here on Sunday or in our corporate lives uh, together in community groups or in our you know, separate neighborhoods, what would it mean to, to use those resources that God is equipping us with to resist idolatrous forms of, of liturgy in our community, in our culture? What would that look like, right? That's what I want to end with. Does anyone have any ideas about that? Anything? Yeah. Or no four in the water. Sorry. Shoot. I, I voted for that. <laughs> well, so I'll end with this. Uh, we're, we're going into ordinary time now that we've celebrated Pentecost today. Ordinary time is where we go out and serve the world. This is what Brian or Steve says after every service. Let us go forth to serve the world in love, right, and peace. Well, that's what ordinary time is all about. And we're empowered to do that through the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we celebrated today. Okay. 
And may, when we do that, may you be uh, encouraged and energized to do that for the glory of God and, in some ways, to the resistance and to the counterinsurgency against ways that we're being shaped idolatrously in our culture. Okay? So that's what I'll end with. Any questions? All right. Thank you for joining us for this uh, brief session. There will be... Are you going to mention that? Yeah. Brian, do we have dates for the Trinity class? Is it, is it June 9th and following? Okay. So uh, there's another uh, in-town U class in the works. Uh, we're hoping to pull something together to introduce um, people to the doctrine of the Trinity, its historical formation, and its component parts. So stay tuned for that. There will be, that will be in the bulletin as, as well as probably uh, via Facebook and, and email list. Okay? Cool. Thanks, you guys.